Well, 1956, something happened that revolutionized our entire world. And I'm pretty sure I can say world on this one. 1956, something was, was created, something was invented, something happened that we still rely on and use today. Many of you, I have no doubt, probably more when we talk to the 1115 crowd here in the next hour, but many of you probably even use this this morning, not just one time, maybe not even just two times, but maybe three times, four times, five times. In 1956, GE came out with the very first alarm clock with a snooze button. Here it is. The very first alarm clock with a snooze button. Now, in thinking through this snooze button, you could imagine the joy that everybody would have felt because we've had alarm clocks before, but now you have an alarm clock where you can ignore the alarm clock. Brilliant marketing. Get you an alarm clock, but you need this alarm clock so you can ignore the alarm clock that you first bought. So you click the snooze button and you get nine whole extra minutes to just ignore it. And then it goes off again and you hit that snooze again and you have a whole nother nine minutes to keep delaying the inevitable of waking up, right? Now you know this, if you are a snooze button person, which real quick, come on, show me some love. Snooze button people, that's it. I appreciate you. So if you're like me and you are a snooze button person, here's what happens. The alarm goes off, goes off and you say one word, nope. <laughs> Hit the snooze. And you're not totally asleep. I mean, you really cannot, at least I cannot fall back asleep in nine minutes, but you're kind of in that in-between. You're half awake, you're half asleep, or as I like to say it, I'm slowly waking up. These are the words we use in our family. Till then the alarm goes off again, and I said, nope, still not ready. Hit the button one more time. And by that time, my alarm has woken up everybody in the entire house. So now I have my, my, my family, my, my three kids and my wife and a dog all basically telling me, get up, get up, get up. Please don't hit the snooze again. It's time to, and I want you to say these two words with me, wake up. It's time to wake up. As we're looking in the book of Revelation, remember, Revelation is not just the end is near. Watch out. Remember, the purpose is where Jesus was talking to these seven churches, and he's writing to them and, and encouraging them and strengthening them, saying, yes, the end will come, but who wins in the end? He says, I do. Jesus says. So it was written to encourage the local churches, specifically these seven local churches. And one of those local churches we're going to see this morning, Jesus said those same words, wake up. They were kind of in this in-between. They were not totally asleep, but they definitely weren't totally awake. They were needing to be told to wake up. It's time to get going. Let's get moving. I say one of the churches. The last several weeks, we've looked at one church a week. Today, we're going to look at two. So we're going to be here for twice as long. How about that? No, just kidding. We're going to cram them on in. The reason for these two is because they are the exact opposite of each other. We're going to see one church that we're going to call the superficial church. The superficial church. We're going to see another church that I'm going to call the super faithful church. Now, even the super faithful, they are not perfect by any means, but superficial meaning Ah, they're just, they're just real shallow. They're not really deep. What you see on the outside is not what you really see on the inside. The outward doesn't match the inside. That's the church that Jesus says, wake up. You're kind of sleepwalking through life. 
So that's the superficial. And then we're going to see on the other side a church that we're going to call, like I said, the super faithful. And as we get through both of these, I want you to focus on what does it look like to be a church that's full of faithfulness, but also personally, what does it look like for us to be full of faith and to have that faithfulness? So let's look at the first one, and then we're going to contrast it with this second church. Revelation chapter 3, if you want to follow along with me, it's the church of Sardis, verse 1. The angel, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Here's Jesus' words in Look, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. That would be a good thing. People know you as being alive. People know you for your works and the good that you do. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Here's those two words again. Wake up. Wake up, Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I will come to you. He tells him to wake up. He says, you're that superficial church, the reputation of being alive, but in reality, you are dead. Let me give you just a quick context of Sardis, not just that church, but that area. It was an old city, had been around for a long time, and it was a very wealthy city. So what it seems like has happened here for this church, maybe it had been established for a long time, maybe it did at one point, was alive and was doing incredible things, full of their heart for God, but also for other people. They did a lot of great things. Therefore, over time, they developed an incredible reputation of being alive, right? For years and years and years, most likely, this church had worked hard out of the overflow of their love for God and out of the overflow of their heart, had done some incredible things for others, therefore had gained a great reputation of being alive. Now, somewhere along the way, the reputation and the reality were different. Somewhere along the line of the timeline of this great reputation, they just rode the wave of their reputation. They didn't keep working on it anymore. Their, their hearts started to take a step back. Their hearts started to fall asleep, but they still had a really good reputation. So the question we need to ask in regards to the superficial church is, does the reputation match reality? Their reputation of being alive did not match the reality that Jesus says, you're actually almost dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but in reality, you are almost dead. Does the reputation match reality? In your life, does your reputation, what's on the outside, what people see, what, what you want to be known for and known by, does that match the reality, the current realities and condition of your heart? I'm sure you've heard the phrase, not as advertised. You heard that phrase before? I'm not going to name any organizations or businesses here, right? But I can just tell you that on a rare occasion, it does not happen very often, but on a rare occasion, we will go to a specific pizza place that has a reputation for pizzas being both hot and ready. You with me? All right. And almost every time we show up to this unnamed pizza establishment, to go and get a pizza that is supposed to be hot and ready, but I don't think it has ever been both. It's always been one or the other, where we show up and I have a hot pizza, but it's only hot because I had to wait 20 minutes because it wasn't ready. 
On the flip side, I might show up and, oh, thank goodness, there's a bunch of these pizzas ready. And I get it out to the car, and I'm like, this is ready from yesterday. There's no way that this is hot other than just being under the little microwave for a little bit. Not as advertised when the reputation does not match the reality. So how do we fix that? What does Jesus call this church to action? What does he call them to do if your reputation doesn't match the reality? Jesus says two words again, wake up. It's time to get moving. See, they were in this season of coasting, right? You spend all this work. Think about riding a bike. You spend all that work riding up and pedaling really hard to get to the top of the hill. What can you do on the way down? You just coast. But keep in mind, you're coasting downhill. Things aren't moving the way they should. You're not working towards something. You're just coasting. That's what had probably happened to this church. So he tells them, wake up. It's time to get moving. It's time to get going again. Focus on your heart, not just on the reputation. What's inside matters. He says, wake up and look at this. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So the reputation of being alive, but the reality is they're almost dead. Not totally dead. Jesus says there's still hope. There's something little there still. There's, there's a little bit of faith. There's a little bit of heart left. So wake up, Church of Sardis. Get moving. Strengthen what little you have left. Strengthen what's there. Let me say this to some of you in the room. Superficial isn't a, like, oh, yeah, I'm a superficial Christian. Like, nobody likes to claim that. But I think we all relate to it on some level. And I mean that in the sense of, I don't feel like I have a lot of faith left. How many of us have said that? Where we've got the reputation, we're, we're good at going through the motions, we can kind of sleepwalk through Christianity and following Jesus, but in reality, we don't feel like I've got much left. I've, I've lost my faith, I've even heard that said. And Jesus says, wake up. Yes, there's a difference between the reputation and the reality, but you're not dead yet. There's still something there, strengthen what little still remains. So if that's you, if you're saying, I don't know if I've got much left in me. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. I don't know how much longer I can, I can keep this reputation afloat. I don't know. If that's you, can I just lean in and say, strengthen what is still there? Because it's still there. It might not be this massive flame that you might see in other people, but there is an ember there. It takes an ember to get things going. Strengthen it, feed it, fuel it, lean into it. Strengthen what still remains. That superficial church needed to be told to wake up and to strengthen what they still had. If that's you, strengthen what you have. If you need help figuring out that, what that is, I would start here. Last week, I encouraged you to read through Psalms. It's a great place to jump into. Read through the Gospels. Start in Luke if you want to know a place to start. Read through James and, and see how your actions also have to match your heart. You have to have the heart, not just the reputation and the actions. That's the superficial church that was told to wake up. Let's look at the second church. If that's superficial, being told to wake up, reputation and reality don't match, let's see what the super faithful church might look like. Chapter 3, verse 7, here's the super faithful church, the church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. 
What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Hold up there just for a second. We've seen this as a theme throughout our study in these local churches in Revelation, that Jesus specifically and intentionally describes himself in a way that is very important to that local church and their context. So in this one, for Philadelphia, they are going to be known as a very faithful church. And so Jesus describes himself in a very intentional way to say, I'm the one that holds the keys. And that's talking about a messianic prophecy. We don't have to go into all of that. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I hold the keys. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. He says, I am it. It's talking about his authority. It's talking about his power. He's the one that holds the keys. I shared this, if you were with us, a few months ago. Uh, it was the first time this has ever happened to, to me and to our family, but we locked ourselves out of our house back in August. Whole story, I'm not going to go into it whatsoever. It was embarrassing for one time. I'm not going to relive it a second time. But I had two choices, right? If you lock yourself out of a house or out of a car, if you lock yourself out, you have two choices. You can break in, you break a window, you kick the door down to get in, or you find someone with a key. So for us, we get locked out of our house, Becky's famous question of, well, can't you get in? And I said, uh, no, because I don't want to pay for a broken window. I don't want to pay for a broken door. That's nice that you think I could actually like break our door down. I appreciate that. It's not going to happen. So I don't want to break anything to get in. That's a whole nother set of issues and problems that we then face. So we called a locksmith. We had to wait for the locksmith to show up. Let me reemphasize that we had to wait for the locksmith. We'll be right there three hours later. But it was worth the wait because I didn't have a broken window. I didn't have to, a broken door. As soon as the locksmith got there, within 10 minutes, he was in the house. He's like, would you like an, a, a spare key to keep around? I said, yes, please. <laughs> so Jesus is helping us understand his authority, his power. So we have a choice, don't we? Do we kick down doors or do we wait for him to open it? Keyword, wait for him to open it. Let's see what he says as he talks to this church of Philadelphia. He says, I know your deeds. Very similar to what we just read for the church of Sardis, but it's gonna go a little bit differently this time. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have, look, little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So the other church, church of Sardis, they had a lot, and including a great reputation, but very little faith. He says, strengthen your faith. Here, they're weak. They don't have much left, but they have faith. I know you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So here's what's gonna happen next, verse nine. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, that's important, we're gonna come back to it. It says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Finally, verse 11, I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There's a lot in there. Let me break it up a little bit for you. So first we saw Jesus describing himself as the one that holds the keys. He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that shuts doors. So for someone that is desiring to be faithful, if you want to be faithful like this early church of Philadelphia was faithful, you wait on him to open the doors. Instead of trying to force the doors open 
yourself. He says, I know your deeds and I know you don't have much. In fact, you don't have much strength. You're pretty weak. But what you do have is faith. You have not denied my name. You've stayed true to my words. And then he goes on and he gives a bunch of statements. And if you were following along and looking on the screen, I actually underlined several of these statements. He said, I will multiple times. If you go back and look in verse 9 and 10 all the way through 11, notice all the I will, the futuristic statements. He says, I will make those who are. Later on, he says, I will. He reiterates again, I will make them. He says, I will also keep you. And then lastly, in verse 11, I am coming soon. You know what all of those have in common? Verse 9 all the way through verse 11, as Jesus talks to this church, none of it has to do with right now. None of it. It's I will do this and I will make this happen and I will this and I am coming soon. None of those words have anything to do with right now. The only thing that speaks to the right now is when he says, endured patiently. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. In other words, that's what you have been doing. That's what I want you to keep doing. Even at the end of verse 11, he says, so hold on to what you have. In other words, Keep doing what you're doing. That's what Jesus tells them. He says, remember, I'm the, ones that open, I'm the one that opens the doors. So keep waiting on me. I'm the one that's gonna take care of you. So keep doing what you are doing. Remain faithful today and tomorrow and wherever you are. That's what it looks like to be, as we would call this church, the super faithful they didn't have a whole lot. Jesus doesn't even speak to their reputation like he did with Sardis. But every moment of every day, regardless of where they were and what they were going through, they stayed true to Jesus. And they waited on him. And when a door opened, they walked through it. When a door shut, they waited for another one to open instead of trying to kick the door down. See, oftentimes we correlate our faith to those giant leaps of faith or those steps of faith. And yes, that's true. I don't want to minimize that. That sometimes we do. We take steps of faith. If we're following Jesus, he's going to call us to do certain things. He's going to call us to, to be a certain way. And so, yes, sometimes we take these steps of faith or even a leap of faith, right? You could probably look back in your life and, and recognize those times where Jesus called you to something. You're like, oh, that, that's not just a step anymore. That's going to be a, a leap of faith. And yes, we have to lean into those leaps of faith, but don't miss the other part. Sometimes we take steps of faith or maybe even a leap of faith, but other times we just wait faithfully. Sometimes we just have to wait faithfully. That's what Jesus is commending and telling this church of Philadelphia to do. He says, I'm the one that opens the doors. So you have endured patiently. You've kept waiting for me. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep waiting faithfully. There's two ways to think of waiting in my mind. It's the waiting in line versus the starting line. Waiting in line looks like this. You go to the grocery store, you're waiting in line, you wait like this. You don't really do much, right? If you drive your kids to school, you wait in carpool, and it looks like that. <laughs> Anytime you wait, it just looks like this. Maybe you pull your phone out, you're trying to multitask somewhat, you're not really talkative, you're not really doing anything, you're truly just waiting to then move forward. The starting line looks very, very different. That's waiting in line, but waiting for the race to go. If you've ever seen a race, been part of a race, watched a race, if there's the starting line, you see all of the athletes getting ready. 
Now, they haven't done anything yet, but there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of stretching going on. There's a lot of focusing. There's a lot of looking ahead. There's a lot of headphones and and getting in the heart and the mind of it. And then it gets a little bit closer where we're supposed to get up to the line and every athlete, every racer, every runner gets up to that line and they get set. Notice you've never probably, unless it's maybe a junior high or middle school race, you've never seen somebody on the starting line look like this. Let me know when you want us to go. I'll be ready. No, there's anticipation, there's excitement, there's focus, there's determination, there's waiting to go. Two very, very different ways to wait, but both are still waiting. Waiting in line just says, whatever. That sounds more like the first church, kind of complacent, like, wake up, get ready to go. Even though you don't know when you're going, get ready. Wake up, strengthen what you've got. The starting line would say, I'm so ready. I've been preparing for this moment. I've got everything ready. My heart is right. My mind is right. I'm focused. I'm I'm anticipating. I've done everything I could. Now I'm waiting for the gun to go. See, that's what this church in Philadelphia was doing. They were waiting for certain doors to open, but they remained faithful in that moment. I've been asked a lot recently what our new logo means, right? If you've seen our, our new logo, like, well, what, what does exactly that mean? If you've got your phone and you, and you pull up your phone and you go to like Google Maps or, or Apple Maps, you'll see that little pin drop wherever you are, right? So if you were to look at it right now, that pin drop shows up physically right here or at home wherever you are at. Now, if you were to take yourself and you go somewhere else, maybe you go somewhere for lunch, you go back home, that pin drop then shows up right wherever you are there. Here's what I want you to know, and here's why we went with that logo. First one, God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, wherever that pin drop is, wherever you are, he is with you. Flip side, wherever you are, God will use you. God is with you wherever you are, and God will use you wherever you go. When you go home to your family, God's going to use you there. When you go to work tomorrow morning, God is there. When you go on vacation, when you go to a friend's house, when you drop your kids off at school, when you go to school, Wherever you are, God will use you, wherever you are. There's a phrase we begin to use around here, and maybe seen on social media or have heard us talk about it, something that we have been calling local heroes. A local hero is somebody that has been faithful where they are with what God has given them, and we've been able to see God use them in incredible ways. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a special moment to honor a big local hero that has been part of our church for a long time, much longer than even me. Can I invite Patty Fox to come up? Would you give her a big hand? If you don't know Patty, sorry about your luck. You've missed it. She's been here for a long time, but she's done an incredible job of loving not just our church, not just her community. When I think of local hero as somebody that has been faithful with where they are, and with what God has called them to do, with what they have, Patty's the first person that comes to my mind. Anybody part of the women's gathering this last week, or last time, or before COVID, any of those, you owe Patty a big thanks for that, because Patty has a heart for discipling women, young and old. She doesn't just do this at church as a Publix manager. She does this at her job. She does it with her employees. She does it with her family. I can't think of a place that Patty's been where God has not used her in incredible ways. So 
Today, as I said, is special. I was going to try so hard not to. So today she leaves for Florida because she got reassigned, which is a good thing. This is a good thing. In fact, you talk about faithfully waiting. You put in for this request. Her family's about moved to Florida. She's been in a faithfully waiting season for quite some time now. So when the news came literally like a week and a half ago, hey, I got it. I was like, awesome, terrible at the same time. But that's what, what local heroes do. Local heroes say, God, I know you're with me wherever I go. And wherever I know, go, I know that God will use me. So we have our very first local hero plaque for you. It says, Patty Fox, local hero, presented November 15th, 2020. Because we want you to remember, wherever you go, you will continue to be used by God in incredible ways. And we're thankful that you got to do that here for such a long time. Love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Please don't wait on me to give you a, a plaque to be a local hero, though. <laughs> be faithful wherever you are with whatever God has given you and look for those open doors. So the superficial and the super faithful, let me say it this way. Here's what I think Jesus would say to us, local church. I think he would say, stop pretending and keep persevering. Stop pretending, right? It's, it's the wake up. It's the strength in what you have. Don't rely on the reputation. Don't rely on the outward appearance. No, God looks at the heart. Where is your heart? And if your heart doesn't match reality, if heart doesn't match the, the, the reality Jesus wants for you and your reputation, change it. Lean in. Say, Jesus, change me from the inside out. So let me give you this. Let me give you a, a question to ask yourself and a prayer to begin to pray. If you need to stop pretending, who are you behind closed doors? When nobody's looking, who are you? Truly, who are you? Where is your identity? Where is your heart? What's in your heart? And the prayer is, Jesus, change me from the inside out. Not change all my actions and help my reputation. No, change my heart. Change me, Jesus, from the inside out. If you're in a faithful season, right, don't be ashamed. That's not a prideful thing. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I am faithful. Let me tell you to keep persevering. Just like Jesus told the church of Philadelphia, hold on to what you've got. Keep doing what you're doing. Let me have you ask this question. Are there any doors that you're trying to force open? It's very hard to be in a waiting season and to wait faithfully. It's very difficult. And so often, we feel like we just need to ram the door open. And Jesus is saying, remember, I hold the keys. So sure, you can try to break down certain doors. You're gonna hurt your shoulder in the process and you're gonna have some broken, <laughs> broken home. But you wait for that door to open. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything while that door is waiting to be opened. Just like a runner, you're anticipating, you're preparing, you're focusing, you're getting ready so that when he opens that door, you don't miss a beat. Here's the prayer for you. God, use me right now. God, use me where I am. So often we get stuck saying, God will use me when? Or God, once this happens, then I can? Where are you now? What do you have now? What is God calling you to do today? Start there. Be ready. 
for what doors he might open. Superficial, super faithful. No matter what, our eyes have to be on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, just after, if you read in chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith, you hear a bunch of stories of those that have gone before us that were full of faith. But here's what made them faithful. It's the same thing that I think he would say to us. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Change me from the inside out, in other words. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, we do what he's called us to do. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, we're all... We're all in a spot where we are in danger of losing heart, the superficial and the super faithful. We can all be in danger of losing heart. We don't lose heart because our eyes are on Jesus. So if you relate more to the superficial church, get your eyes on Jesus and allow him to change you from the inside out. If you're in a season of faithfully waiting, get your eyes on Jesus and see how he wants to use you today. At home and here in the room, if you'll close your eyes with me, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. First and foremost, to respond to what Hebrews 12 told us of what Jesus did for you so that you would not lose heart, that he died on the cross for your sins, to give you grace and love and forgiveness, to give you the free gift of eternal life. That's the inside part. Before we ever touch anything on the outside of our lives, before we even worry about our reputation, can we focus on our heart? Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? If he's not, you start there. You put your eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need a Savior. And no, I'm not perfect, but I need you in my life. Help me to get my eyes on you today and forever. Jesus, we follow you no matter where you take us even if that means taking us to a season of waiting. Help us to wait faithfully and to allow you to open the doors. Jesus, change us from the inside out. I pray that our reality of our heart would match the reputation that the world sees and that there would not be a gap or a discrepancy. So we give you everything. Help us to be more and more like you as we follow in your footsteps. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.